In our gospel lesson this morning, we see the early church, the first disciples of Jesus, they're gathered together in a house somewhere in downtown Jerusalem. It's the evening of the first Easter Sunday. They lock the doors to hide the threat of persecution. They knew what would happen if they got caught and were identified as Jesus's followers. Most likely, what happened to Jesus would happen to them. He, Jesus was falsely ac- accused for blasphemy. He was beaten and flogged and mocked and then nailed to a cross while his life drained away and eventually he died on the cross of asphyxiation. Crucifixion was a good way of motivating people to follow the rules and not to challenge the authority of Rome. The disciples respond to all of this by hiding. And it's in this space of fear and disorientation and confusion that the risen Jesus first appears to them. And from this encounter, we learn at least three things about Jesus and his mission in the world today. So we're going to look at these three things this morning. First, we learn that in Christ, we discover peace and joy. When Jesus enters the room, he stands among his fearful disciples and he says, peace be with you. It's the first words out of the resurrected Jesus' mouth. We now have peace with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Everything separating us from the love of God has been removed. Jesus has died in our place. Jesus paid the debt for our sin. He's released us from the grip of the evil one and he's defeated death. The barrier that once stood between us and God is now gone. We have been completely forgiven before God. We have died with Christ and been raised with Christ. His death is our death, and his resurrection is where we discover new life. This is what the Apostle Peter is explaining in his first epistle. He says, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There is nothing on God's side preventing us from knowing him intimately. Now, everyone who hears the gospel is invited to come to Jesus, and through faith in him, we experience peace with God, peace with one another, and peace within ourselves. In Hebrew, the Hebrew language, the word for peace is shalom. Cornelius Plantinga Jr. describes shalom like this. He says, shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as God opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The risen Jesus 
is leading us into the way that things ought to be. Can you imagine universal flourishing, everyone prospering, everyone growing into the best version of themselves, everyone using their gifts and talents to help benefit the larger community? Wholeness. The opposite of wholeness is sickness. The risen Jesus is our healer. By his wounds, we are healed. Perhaps this is why he shows the disciples his scars immediately after he says to them, peace be with you. Jesus has come to carry our diseases. He's come to set us free from the things that keep us bound. He's come to comfort us in our sorrow. And eventually, he will fully heal us mind, body, soul, and every other dimension of our humanity. And delight. To delight is something is to enjoy it deeply. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples that he would share his peace with them. The same inner peace that he experiences in relational intimacy with his Father. It's the same inner peace that we see in him all throughout the Gospels. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's the kind of peace where you are calm in your spirit despite all of the things going on around you, all the chaos, all the challenges, all the trials, all the storms. Jesus wasn't afraid in the midst of anything that was going on because he experienced the life of God within him in a way that there was no separation. And he promised to share this peace with those who trust in him. John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then Jesus promises joy in John 15, verse 11. He said, these things I say to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The risen Jesus stands in the midst of fearful disciples and he says, peace be with you, shalom be with you, universal flourishing, wholeness and delight be with you. When the disciples hear this greeting and they see his scars on his hands and his side verifying his identity, they're overflowing with joy. And the same thing happens to us when we are in, in, when we are in the presence of Jesus. We experience peace and joy, unlimited joy. The second thing we learn from this resurrection encounter is the mission of God. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The mission of God was to rescue the world from sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God the Father loves the world and he sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is the goal. The Apostle John commenting on the purpose of writing his gospel says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name eternal life, never-ending life. It is what the first disciples begin experiencing through faith in Jesus, and they were commissioned 
to then invite others into this sharing of eternal life. This is what the good news is revealing. But sharing the good news is not enough. The human heart needs to be opened. It needs to be softened. It needs to be enlightened before we can believe in Jesus and receive this new life from him. Watch what Jesus does. He tells his disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he does something very curious. He breathes on them. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Why did he breathe on them? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Remember back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, after God formed Adam from the dust, he then breathed his breath, his life into him. The word for breath in Hebrew is the word ruach. It can mean breath, wind, or spirit. God breathed his spirit into Adam, and Adam came to life. We see God doing something very similar in Ezekiel. The prophet is given a, a vision of a, a valley of, of dead, dry bones. And God said, prophecy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these, to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will lay sinews on you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's bringing them to life in a whole new way. He breathes on them, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John has been preparing us for this moment all throughout his gospel. He's been building on this idea that Jesus is the one who will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. He keeps a record of some of the things that Jesus says. Listen to this. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. God gives the Spirit without limit. The Spirit gives life. The, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit, and they are life. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, said, streams of living water will flow from within them. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. It is for your good that I am going away. Imagine someone you love saying that. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you of what's yet to come. He will bring glory to, to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And then, after Jesus rises from the dead, he says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he explains how the life of God will begin to spread throughout the world. He says, if you forgive 
The sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Paul helps us understand what Jesus is talking about here. He, he describes the, the mission of the church, the ministry of the church, as the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God. The mission of God is to share his life with all who will receive it. How do we receive it? It's very, very easy. You just need to believe. This is the third thing that we learn from this resurrection encounter. Verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, he was called the twin. I assume that means he had a twin brother or a sister or something. He was not with them when Jesus first appeared. So the other disciples tell him, we've seen the Lord, but he doesn't believe. He says, unless I see the hands, the, the marks of the nails in his hands and can put my finger in the mark where he was pierced in his side, I'm never going to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside a house somewhere in Jerusalem, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were again locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This story of Thomas doubting is for our benefit. We, it, Thomas needed physical, tangible proof in order to believe. And the amazing thing is that he received it. He was able to touch and feel the physical resurrected body of Jesus and when he did, he testifies that Jesus is Lord and God. It's one of the highest Christological statements in Scripture. Then Jesus speaks to all of those who will hear the gospel in the future, including us, and he says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. If what the Apostle John wrote about Jesus is true in his gospel, and if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then we can trust him at his word. Because when Jesus speaks, what he says eventually happens in his timing and in his way. 
I have a young son who is 10. Uh, recently, we've been talking a lot about how do you know? How do you know that Jesus really has risen from the dead? How do you know that you can really know him as real? He's being challenged in school with all kinds of different worldviews. All kinds of different ideologies are being presented to him, and he's confused about what to believe, what's true. And I keep telling him, and I'll, I think it's because this is how I learned, the way to discover whether or not Jesus really is who the Bible says he is, is to go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, keep looking into it, keep trying to figure it out. If you haven't had an assurance of faith yet, you will, but you just have to keep going. You have to keep looking into it. And I can guarantee you that if you do, Jesus will make himself known to you. He will reveal himself to you in a way that you can uniquely understand. What Jesus said here is true. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. When Jesus speaks, what he says happens. I like how Henry Blackaby explains this dynamic of trusting in what Jesus says. He writes this. He says, Christ will often lead us into situations that seem impossible, but don't try to avoid them. Stay in the middle of them, for that is where you will experience God. The key difference between what appears to be impossible to us and what is actually possible is a word from Jesus. Faith accepts his divine command and steps out in a direction that only he can accomplish. If you attempt only things that you know are possible with the visible resources you have, and that might include your resources of belief and faith, those around you will not see God at work. Take inventory of your life and the decisions you are presently facing. Have you received a word from Jesus that awaits your next step of faith? If you will proceed with what he has told you, no matter how incredible it might seem, you will experience the joy of seeing Jesus perform a miracle. And so will those around you. What do you sense? The risen Jesus speaking to you this morning. He has a way of finding us, even when we lock the doors. He enters into our fear and into our disorientation and into our confusion, and he speaks, calling us to trust him and to let go of everything preventing us from receiving God's love. And he's breathing new life into us by the Holy Spirit. And he's inviting us to participate in his mission of reconciling the world to the Father. How should we respond to all of this? Believe. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, we believe. Help our unbelief. Pour out your spirit upon all of us with fresh power that we might know you as you really are. 
Thank you for all that you have done through your death and resurrection, forgiving us for all of our sin, rescuing us from the evil one and from death itself, and inviting us to share in your peace and your joy. Come and have your way with us. Line up our lives with your life. We give you permission to do in us and among us and through us whatever you desire. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.